You can't delegate digital transformation for your company. You and your executives have to own it. Executives need to engage, embrace, and adopt new ways of working with the latest in emerging technologies. And that's where we come in. Welcome to Embracing Change. The business world is changing at a faster pace than it ever has, and companies need to keep up. We interview the most interesting CEOs, CMOs, and other executives to talk about their challenges with digital transformation in their industry. This is Embracing Change, and this is your host, Gerardo Carrick. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Embracing Change, a podcast about digital transformation. My guest today is Ethan Braden. Ethan serves as Executive Vice President and is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Purdue University and Purdue Global. Um, welcome, Ethan. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. No, no, no. Please, thank you for spending some time with us. We, we have interviewed many guests in the past that are related to education and education technology, but I don't think we've, we've interviewed anyone uh, from such a reputable organization like Purdue. So thank you so much for spending time with us. My pleasure. Great to be Fantastic. here. Fantastic. So, you know, Ethan, I think it would be great if you could just uh, spend a few minutes uh, talking about your experience and your intro, your bio, kind of like for, you know, for the listeners of our podcast. Sure, of course. So I, um, after, after going to graduate school at Notre Dame, I was fortunate to spend 10 years at Eli Lilly and company in mm -hmm. a variety of marketing and sales roles in the U.S. and globally in the emerging markets, 72 of those countries, looking after antidepressants, pain drugs. Uh, diabetes drugs, endocrinology, and then as a sales director. And um, was very fortunate in the respect that the gentleman that brought me to Lilly, uh, you know, a decade later, wooed me up to Purdue University on another sort of transformative marketing experience. Purdue University is my, uh, is my wife's alma mater. And so it was just an hour up the road from Indianapolis to move to West Lafayette. So I've been there for four years, uh, now serve as the executive vice president, as you said, and chief marketing officer, not only for Purdue University, which is a 153-year-old you know, R1 AAU major research university, public university and the land grant flagship of our state of Indiana, but also Purdue Global, which is our 17 purchase of Kaplan. Uh, and now it's Purdue's online university for working adults. And so I, I oversee marketing for both. Got a wonderful wife and uh, two kids in West Lafayette, Indiana, and one on the way. So it's great to be here. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. It, that's a handful. It, it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So <clears throat> it's interesting. Uh, it's it's interesting you mentioned uh, Purdue Global and Purdue University because I think you have a unique uh, chance to see what's going on in, in education. Mm -hmm. from two different perspectives, right? Yeah. Two very, very different perspectives. And I, and I think that's a very unique position that you're in. So I, what I would be interested to talk to you, kind of like to introduce the concept of, of um, what's going on in education, um, mm -hmm. is to talk about the last 20 years, right? What has happened in the industry in the last 20 years? Because we've seen a massive, a massive, uh, if, if we think about the university as a concept that started more than a, a century ago and has stayed static mm -hmm. for more than 100 years, right? And mm -hmm. suddenly in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of development that has been accelerated because of the 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 the, the, the pandemic that, that we just went through. Mm 
right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so what would you say are the most uh, significant changes or, 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 or um, developments from the last 20 years in education? Yeah, I think to your point, there's a, there's a ton of disruption and it's coming in a different, uh, it's coming in different, you know, in ways. Um, the first I would talk about is the online modality, right? So traditionally we saw bricks and mortar residential schooling. Um, you know, you come for your four years, you live in the dorms, you live in an apartment, you get your degree, you go off into the workforce, 18 to 22. What we've seen over the last 20 years with University of Phoenix and thereafter Southern New Hampshire University and the DeVries and the ITTs of the world, and then really the, the nonprofits getting into that space is this notion of online education, both in the undergraduate ranks, but also in this idea of long life learning. So this idea of, of getting a degree maybe after I've had life experience and maybe accumulated some college credits along the way, but never completed that degree. And we see that often with Purdue Global. We're also seeing that with Purdue University Online, right? Our purebred masters and doctorate degrees that we're now offering in the modality online to individuals who want to go back to school, reskill, upskill, gain their masters as they think about a longer career, as they think about 20 to 30, oftentimes career changes over a lifetime now as we think about longer life. And so that modality, I think, is incredible disruption to what has been pretty traditional um, and staunch over the past. I think the other part that's really important right now is people more than ever are questioning the value of higher education. They're questioning mm -hmm. what they're getting out of the experience, what they're paying for it, what it's worth in the job space and in the marketplace thereafter. And do I need it? Do I need it at 18? Do I need it at all? Does my son or daughter need it right now? Mm -hmm. And so that question of the value relative to the price, relative to the opportunity costs of the time, relative to the instruction and what sort of degree I'm coming out with, what kind of skills and preparation and credential is also probably being more questions today or questioned today than ever before. And so those yeah. forces together are disrupting, I think, tr very traditional um, perspectives in higher education if you're not willing or not interested in evolving. Of course, it's almost creating new different market segments, right? Completely. Um, because there's people that obviously traditional education is going to be the right thing for them, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that didn't have an option before to maybe specialize in in, in different skill sets without having to go through a traditional uh, education and also the availability of options now, right? I think Absolutely. in the past you would try to, I mean, if you didn't want to travel, you would look for your local, mm -hmm. uh, you know, within, within a radius, right, that you could drive and 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 what courses were offered in those mm -hmm. colleges, right, or in those schools. Well, now you can actually take a very highly specialized course on whatever you want to to specialize on from global universities, from pla from places mm -hmm. that are anywhere in the world, right? Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, and you know, then you've got, a, you've got a very interesting demographic decline right now that's coming, right? And so the, the, the high school and college age going students right now has been declining. We've been anticipating that for quite some time. And there's also, it's actually an article that's out this week that talks about the consolidation in the respect that more individuals are seeking the large flagship public and renowned universities in this nation. And as you see, basically, universities that are 30,000 students and greater have grown 24% over the last 20 years. But many mm -hmm. of the smaller schools, the liberal arts schools, the privates, et cetera, that we may have heard of or not, are seeing some pretty significant restriction. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a wave as well. As fewer come to college, as we question the need for college, I think you're going to continue to see these, these headwinds 
for mm -hmm. institutions that aren't either well positioned or evolving to the needs of today's student, whether that's the 18 to 22 year old or that's the adult learner. So, so I'm interested in something you just you just mentioned because it's it's a, a piece of data that I wasn't aware. Of. So, we're seeing a decline in 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 people people attending university. That's what you said, right? And yeah. but but the larger universities are grow, are growing in terms of applicants, right? Why yeah, the, why is that? Why is it that they are uh, capturing more of a of a smaller uh, audience? Yeah, I think there's a there's a few things there. I think brand and reputation, affordability, value are all speaking to the idea of these large 50 flagship you know universities across the nation um, that have recognition both within their states but also out of state. Mm -hmm. They're known for large experiences. There are one. They're researched. They're producing today's STEM grads for the most part. So they're well known, and many of them have a value story and a, and a, ultimately a reputation or even a ranking that some of the smaller schools do not. And so mm -hmm. you're seeing this restriction in many of them. Now, again, um, reputation and quality, affordability, value all matter. But very interesting data to see this sort of move to the larger flagships and also the well-known privates, the bigger well-known privates. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, those, those, those regionals and those tier two, tier three and privates, the smaller privates right now are, are constricting. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're we're almost looking at a, a market from you know that has some undifferentiated schools, right? Competing with a, a, you know established players. Right? Yeah, I mean, I like to say it all the time. There's four thousand post-secondary degree uh, degree granting universities in the United States right now. Four thousand. Mm -hmm. wow. There's forty nine schools in the state of Indiana that grants a teaching degree. Forty nine. So if I'm a student on the north side of Indianapolis, I'm 18, I'm in high school and I want to be a teacher, I have 49 schools just in state to mm -hmm. choose from in terms of where I go to get to get a degree. It's like the, you know, it's the aisle of, of yogurt in a French grocery store. How do yeah. I pick and yeah. how do I differentiate? And what's the difference between Illinois State and Indiana State to a kid mm -hmm. in Kansas or a kid in Indianapolis? And so differentiation, mm -hmm. meaning, right, your positioning, your value. Critically important today. Critically important, yeah, of course. Uh, br branding and value becomes uh, becomes uh, one of the key reasons why somebody would choose you over 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 a competitor for sure. So, how if we think about about all of this offering available, right? Mm -hmm. I'm interested in understanding. When you know, when talking about adding value or, or demonstrating value or establishing value, how important are and this is from the concept of you know this in this podcast we talk about digital transformation, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so so from that perspective, uh, performance marketing becomes a, a key a key channel, mm -hmm. right? For mm -hmm. for a for you know, for for lead generation and for lead acquisition, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Both uh, on 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 a paid basis, but also maybe on a reputation basis, right? In mm -hmm. terms of the reviews you drive, the inbound uh, leads you generate through the content you put out there, through the right, the white papers, the blogs, and all right. of the, all, yeah. all of that content that it's meant to demonstrate the value, the thought leadership. So people want to be associated with the brand. How critical do you see this continuing to be going forward in terms of? acquiring uh, leads at a higher rate than and students uh, at the end of the day at the higher rate than 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 other competitors in the space yeah i mean i think it's it's critically important particularly in the online space 
Mm -hmm. So as you think about it, the bricks and mortar residential, you're talking about an experience, you're talking about a residential experience, you're talking about visits, you're talking about basketball games, you're talking about pep rallies, you're talking about fraternities and sororities. There's a fit, there's an overall experience. It's very personal, it's very communal, um, and it's very emotional. And yeah. so of course, but it's, it can be experienced in a very different way. The online education space, that balance of having a strong and compelling brand and being excellent in the performance marketing space. I mean, it's been in fields to, to a T right now is, is critical in terms of how are you appealing to the 40 million Americans who are out there with some credit and no degree today, sitting on their couch, thinking about going back to school while they work full time, while they parent full time, while they think about aging parents, maybe they're working for an employer that's providing them some benefit, et cetera. Again, how do they cut through? the experience that they want, the degree they want, the value they want, the flexibility, the convenience, the affordability that they need when all of these offers are there, but they're all online. Mm -hmm. And so those that are, that are really excelling, I think have a beautiful blend of a brand that matters, a brand that's understood, a brand that fits, a brand, quite frankly, that they can be proud of associating with and feel like their employer is going to respect, but also fits them when they come to spend their time, their money, their effort. And they have to be known in that respect. So that blend of performance marketing and brand is critical, particularly in the, in the online space. Of course, of course. So what do you think are the challenges uh, for, for schools right now, you know, going forward? Oh, a, a myriad, right? I talk, we talked about the demographic decline. Mm -hmm. We talked about the challenging of the utility and the value and the practicality of higher education in general. Right. Mm -hmm. um, do I need a four year degree or do I need a coding credential? Do I need a four year degree from wherever or do I just need to do the right certificates with Coursera or Google today mm -hmm. for that job? Right. And mm -hmm. so the disruption is great and it's only going to get greater. Right. The protection to that disruption largely today is accreditation. But if Amazon and Google and others, Salesforce for that matter, can enter the space and say, I don't need your X university four-year degree. Mm -hmm. I need you to have completed these 10 credentials to demonstrate to me that as a digital marketer or as a data analytics individual, you satisfy our requirements and let's get started. So there's some incredible, I guess you can interpret them as challenges. I think there are opportunities for so many that figure it out. And there's just so many disruptions that we have mm -hmm. to take seriously. Yeah, that's it's interesting you mentioned that uh, because uh, I was uh, reading reading an article on NPR that was talking about the big resignation, right? Sure. And talking about the big resignation of of people that used to work, let's say, in the food uh, service industry, right, mm -hmm. uh, or other uh, similar industries, and what was happening with those people and why they they weren't coming back to that industry. You know, what mm -hmm. where did they go, right? And uh, they did they did some research and they, they identified that a lot of those people ended up working at tech companies, right? You know, mm -hmm. they, they were taken by tech companies, Google, mm -hmm. Amazon, Salesforce, mm -hmm. HubSpot, right? Sure, yeah. And trained for six months on the things that almost giving, you know, accreditation by those companies right. on the yeah. things that they need to do in terms of business development or data analytics or, or, right. you know, or whatever the skill is. And they ended up, improving their economic position, right? You know, mm -hmm. earning more than they were earning as a food service uh, mm -hmm. uh, employee, um, acquiring a skill, right? Mm -hmm. That was provided by the company. The companies identified that it was cheaper for them to train somebody like that right. 
with the skill set that they needed than taking a graduate from school, right? right. Uh, and mm -hmm. having to train them still because they have their own way of doing things, mm -hmm. right? So I thought that was a very telling tale <laughs> of you know the you know the the the, the job of the future, right? Absolutely. Especially in tech. Absolutely. Yeah. No, we're seeing the rise of the credential, the, the rise of the, the micro credential, the stackability of these mm -hmm. into individuals who possess skills that we need today in a space where upskilling, reskilling, misskilling is, is key. Yeah. Um, and so how do you address that need affordably, conveniently, flexibly, um, personally, in a way that that individual can advance and, mm -hmm. and those companies needs can be met. And so we're seeing all kinds of disruption in that regard that just challenge the notion that it's going to take me four years and a college degree at 22 to be able to enter the workforce. Moreover, yeah. as again, I've, I've cited it a couple of times here, but um, the, the wonderful book, Long Life Learning, speaks to this notion of the on-ramps and off-ramps of education that we're going to need in the future to continue to be relevant and competitive. And so yes, who makes that frictionless for me to enter education, exit education in some form or fashion and better serve, whether it's me, my employer, my, my startup, whatever it may be, in reskilling throughout the course of my you know many year career, of course, especially when we consider that people are now going you know life expectancy yeah. is is you know is is getting to to the nineties, right? I mean, yeah. a generation ago it was you know you would you know men would live until seventy three years old, right? That that was the average, right? Right. I and, mean, they and, say the they say that the person that's going to live to one hundred and fifty has been born, right? Ex exactly. What does an eighty or a ninety year career look like at this point? Exactly. So, so, so now with with life expectancy being longer, uh, you know, accreditation and reinvention and long life learning yeah. it becomes more more important because yeah. we will have to reinvent ourselves many times. Absolutely. Uh, throughout throughout our career, right? Yeah. Okay. It, when we talked in our prep call about challenges, it, we also talked about the challenges with technology and platform, right? Sure. Um, can you? Talk a little bit about that. You know, what are the challenges for the modern university from a technological standpoint to be able to compete? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the reality is today's American university, for the most part, um, is working with dated technologies and oftentimes dated digital marketing in particular, capabilities, stacks, resources, tools, et cetera. Right, they've been accumulating. Let's let's for instance, they've been accumulating web pages for 20 years. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like a it's like a garage of a hoarder at this point. I had a wonderful digital marketing colleague tell me if you treated your digital estate, excuse me, if you if you treated your physical estate, if you treated your campus the way oftentimes universities treat their websites, you'd have 25,000 buildings, and they would range from a palace to a porta potty, everything oh, in between. Wow you know, um, sidewalks that don't connect, lights that are off, signs that are broken, you know, buildings without doors. But it's a great experience to think about how frictionless, how user friendly, how externally oriented is our digital marketing, in particular to these digital native students and their folks today. Mm -hmm. And when we've been accumulating college by college, program by program, you know, web presence for 20 years, that cleanup can be very daunting. Mm -hmm. And you see it from school to school. And so, yeah. you know, those that are best are figuring out that that is the, the zero moment of truth for me and my brand, particularly for students that may never come to campus. And we saw that very pronounced during COVID. 
Mm-hmm. And so what is your digital presence between your website, your presence on YouTube, your presence across social telling students and their families as to whether or not they should care about you? And do you make it frictionless in their experience or not? Or is it internally focused, which mm-hmm. makes it difficult and causes them, you know, intellectual calories and cognitive strain? Mm-hmm. Of course, of course. Now, what about upscaling and miscaling? I mean, is that is that part of what you're talking about with the, you know, with the, you know, with the, this cleanup, this mental cleanup that needs to happen uh, with with courses and 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 uh, online pages, or or is it more about the stakeability of 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 the courses? I I remember when when we had our prep call, you 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 were talking a lot about the concept of upscaling and miscaling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we see that particularly on our on our Purdue Global side. We're seeing that particularly in the online edu- education space, right? So like I said, 40 million Americans right now sitting out there having accumulated some college credit, having accumulated a, li- a lot of life experience, whether that was military, whether that was in the business sector, whether that was in service, et cetera, sitting there without a degree. So they are in, in, in many times in need of that next degree to take that next step. But we're seeing mm-hmm. also the the notion of going back to school to reskill, to upskill into today's economy, as you spoke. Mm-hmm. So that's a critical one for us as well. There are 1.3 billion, excuse me, 1.3 billion individuals, Google estimates worldwide in the next five years mm-hmm. that will need either upskilling or reskilling. It's a huge opportunity. It's only going to accelerate continued as, as technology develops, as sophistication develops, globalization develops, the need for it. And so how are we upskilling and reskilling in cyber? in data analytics, in computer mm. science, et cetera, today to be competitive, to be relevant, um, and to be productive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We need uh, a major uh, commitment in that space. Of course, of course. And I, I, and, I, and I would imagine now also, how do, you, how do you pivot from thinking that your target market is your local market or you or you or your US market versus mm-hmm. the global market that might have different needs Absolutely. and still want you know you know but are, are at the top at the top level of the funnel they are aware of the Purdue brand yes they want the piece of that Purdue brand for them you know for you know for the resumes right yeah um, and now have access access to it through Purdue Global right yeah Yes. So, so I would imagine there's also some some new challenges there in terms of fi- figuring out that now you're a brand that that can a- access all of those international markets. Yeah, that that for us is is the next frontier, right? Again, understanding student need um, and product market fit, right? So, where does the Purdue or the Purdue Global or the whatever University of Michigan degree fit a, a need in a country? Um, and what are those tailwinds and headwinds? And we're working with partners to figure that out. What are mm-hmm. the regulatory concerns? What are the educational concerns? What are the legal concerns? What are the language barriers? What are the technology barriers? What are the accreditation barriers? What are the financial barriers? Assessing those, right? Red, red yellow, green mm-hmm. as to where can our degree, where can our subject matters, where can our credentials fit best to an economy or to a group of individuals that have that specific unmet need today? Mm-hmm. And how do you bring that to them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And where do you see the grow um, happening uh, at at that level, at the, at the performance level? Is it is it more on on uh, accreditation and executive courses, or is it more on 
full bachelor degrees? I mean, where is the opportunity there? Yeah, the, the, the short forms are, are definitely, they're, they're smaller in scale, but they're definitely showing, I think, the growth potential of the future. Mm -hmm. You know, the, um, the longer degree opportunities are, are tried and true. They've been around. They're pretty flat to declining in many respects right now. You could speak to the demographic elements of that, you know, low unemployment, potential, you know, concern of recession, et cetera. So there's a lot of different headwinds in that regard. Mm -hmm. The short forms, the micro credentials, the stackability of essentially acquiring the skills I need to advance is where there's a lot of emphasis and a lot of interest in a lot of the players that aren't the university names, but rather they are the true ed tech players that are coming into the market and saying, we can satisfy that need and we know how to do it on your terms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what about partnerships? You know, are there, are there any opportunity for partnerships with other institutions or, or with, with technology uh, platforms? All, all around. It's a ripe space. And that's what I think makes it so exciting. I don't think it's been exploited or, or positively disrupted in, in many of the ways that it still can. And it's coming. Mm -hmm. You see that. You see that in partnerships between industry and education. You see it from ed education to education. You see companies like Guild, for instance, that are brokering or sitting there between as a wonderful middleman between an employer who has educational needs and this myriad of universities that can provide them almost like a a, a, a prescription benefit manager in, in, in pharma mm -hmm. saying, we'll vet who you need and we'll help you help your employees frictionless again, get them into these programs without you having to be an expert on them. So that's a really interesting one as well. But the Amazons, the Googles, the Coursera's, et cetera. And then there's all of the influencers. There's all of the educational content providers, for instance, on YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. Think about what the Green Brothers just announced with Arizona State and the work that they've done there. Um, yeah. that, that combination of what's being taught online, what's being taught for that matter in the classrooms could, that could be online is fascinating mm -hmm. to us. So that, that educational content space online yeah. today is one that I think is incredibly ripe and, and largely untapped. Uh, yeah, you, and you see, you see content uh, platforms like uh, Patreon and others, where, mm -hmm. sure. where you know, where you have people that are highly specialized on a, on a oh. topic and and can teach directly to students, right? Obviously, they, they won't have accreditation, but that's again competing against the against all, all educational options, right? Sure. So, For a couple hundred bucks, I can get forty-five lectures from Seth Godin on Udemy, right? I mean, yeah. fa fascinating, and fa fa it's totally on my terms. Yeah. So it just depends on what the need is. But yes, the partnerships element um, is is ripe and, and we're just on the on the cusp of, I think, what's of course, possible. of course. So let's talk. Let's talk about edtech, educational technology. Right. Um, because to me, that's a fascinating um, part of of all the digital transformation that it's mm -hmm. that is going on. Right. From being able to use artificial intelligence mm -hmm. to to, un to understand you know, where, where a class group is and, you know, our, our students are in their journey of education versus, uh, you know, using um, uh, all of these technologies to help uh, students in campus with, uh, you know, with uh, uh, the na navigation of their facilities, etc. right? What, what, what do you see as the most uh, significant developments in education technology? Well, I think you see it across the gamut, whether it's AR, VR, or AI in particular, we see it in the instructional spaces, right? So think about online nursing, right? How, how is it that I can now become a nurse online largely without having, you know, the physical experiences that may 
we may have thought I had to have in the past. So the components of AR, VR, AI on that, I think are, are fascinating in terms of the instruction. But two, we just had a great conversation about the operations of the university as well. The automation of processes, the, the ability to create a, a far greater customer and staff and faculty experience through automation and AI today is, is one, it's incredible, and two, it's largely untapped in higher education, right? Why am I doing expense reports manually at mm -hmm. this point as an employee of a, of a major university? Why isn't that, you know, between my, my flight records and my credit cards and my itineraries and my Ubers, that it doesn't all just jive? Because it does elsewhere, mm -hmm. right? But we haven't figured that in higher ed. So I, I say that as an example to say, I think there's plenty of AR, um, VR, opportunities instruction in places where um, I think traditionally we thought you had to be in person but two there's a tremendous amount of AI opportunity I think to streamline and to accelerate the transformation in the in the operations of our universities both online and physically or residentially of course of course well just just to finish the you know the conversation where, where do you see where, where do you see the industry going where do you think we should be paying attention for the next couple of years? Yeah, I think it's a lot of what we just we just talked about, you know, the um, the practical application, the value of higher education, the understanding of unmet needs and product market fit. And that sounds like a lot of buzzwords, but the reality is, do are we providing what individuals need and want? Are we providing individuals who are graduating and making a difference in their companies, in their economies, in their communities is a is a progressiveness that we're going to continue to have to evaluate and evolve? Or, or really pay the price for. So I think the, the online space, the hybrid space, especially as it starts to creep more into the bachelor space, into the residential, um, traditional 18 to 22 space, is all very, very ripe for different ways of thinking. And then as we mm -hmm. talked about it, you know, if I'm 18 or I'm 22 or I'm 25 or I'm 42, there are just different options available to me today mm -hmm. to take the next steps in my life, in my career, for my family, that aren't just necessarily four years on a residential campus. Yeah. And so how am I gaining those skills? How am I gaining those experiences? How am I gaining those credentials that are credible and, and desired by the employers and the future that I desire myself, that I want mm -hmm. in my future? There's just so much choice. And so I think it's critical that we are key and we're, we're very understood in terms of what we stand for, why we matter, why people should care. And then to your point, the ability to get that out in the world in a meaningful way and saturate right, to change, reinforce, and create attitudes, beliefs, behaviors, so that these potential students take action mm -hmm. is, is complicated, and it's commoditized in many regards today, and the best will rise, and some will suffer. But I, I just think there's a lot of neat ways that students and lifelong learners today can advance, and they've never had more choice. No, they never had more choice, and, they, and sometimes it's overwhelming. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I can tell you because I have a daughter that it's a, in the process of receiving a, a responses from 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 schools because she's going to college next year, mm -hmm. and we've been with her through this whole process, and the, it's overwhelming the 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 whole process that you have to go through the all the possibilities, right? Uh, that that you have as you said there's four thousand four thousand schools and as you can guess from from my from my accent i wasn't right. i wasn't uh, raised in this country right yeah. so yeah. so it's the first time we're going through you know through this process and um, it's complicated right uh, because you have not only the options of location in state out of state 
but then uh, the format of the courses and then uh, you know all of, all of the different uh, um, ways of financing it it's a complete complicated process so i can see how that variety of options mm. are a really a, a you know co competing with the decision to go to you know to a college absolutely right um, and and the cost of college too right uh, oh 100 yeah. yes i i would say you know what as a as a parting shot for purdue i think one of the things that has helped particularly in the last 10 years of our ascendancy in terms of reputation in terms of value in terms of the the students that we are producing has been an incredible commitment mm -hmm. to affordability and accessibility Mm -hmm. um, we, we believe as a land-grant university that we're here to provide practical education to the masses. Mm -hmm. So that's why we've frozen tuition for the last 11 years. Yeah. Um, saving wow. families a billion dollars collectively had we just raised the rate of the average of the Big Ten Conference. We're wow. saving students $150 million a year um, by not raising our rates. We've, we'll see 10 classes now graduate from Purdue having never seen a price increase. Wow. So that idea of being able to be affordable and accessible to more moving forward, we think is just key. Um, mm -hmm. But to your point, for, for many, it's not. Yeah. And so how are we challenging that aspect that, you know, it costs 50 or $100,000 to get a liberal arts degree? For many, mm -hmm. that's not practical, it's not possible. desirable, yeah. and it's not good, and it's not yeah. possible. Yeah. So how do we challenge that to make an education, still a very valued education, a very needed education for so many, yeah, affordable and accessible and a reality. Fantastic. Well, Ethan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all of your insights on 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 the industry, on what's going on with in, in education. And I hope we can have you again sometime in the future. Oh, this is great. Thank you for the conversation and the opportunity. All right. Thank you.